We've talked so much about the physical space of Thornfield in so many of our adaptations and just like what that means. Um, and I just, I love, I just love, I just love it. Basically what I'm saying is I'm just a fan of Thornfield. Okay. Nice. Let it go. <laughs> so Lillian, you, if I were to ask what does Thornfield mean to you, you would say, oh. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And then yeah. I would be done. And then that would be the whole podcast. Nice. Awesome. Great. Cool episode, huh guys? <laughs> Lillian, hello. We're back. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. <laughs> hello, listeners. We've missed you. <laughs> we have missed you. Also, listeners, I married him. I ah! kind of said that at the beginning of my little intro for our radio thing, but I had to say it again on an official episode. Yes! <laughs> she did. I was there. I saw it. I was ready for interruptions. There weren't any. Um, my dirty looks to all of your lovely guests, unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't even have the uh, interruption line, so I think maybe that helped. <laughs> <laughs> that would people, a couple of people, you could tell like wanted to interrupt, but they just weren't sure like when, like how do I do this? So, yeah, but no, it was uh, it was great. So thank you guys for being flexible with us for a summer schedule. Um, planning a wedding, it turns out, is very hard. <laughs> so <laughs> it's nice to be able to have more I time to focus. First on that. one to figure that out. I know, weird. <laughs> um, but it was lovely. It was beautiful. I'm married now. I'm very happy. And, yeah, and thank you guys for sticking with us and for all the amazing messages. I know we were a little slower to respond over the summer and um, our social media has been a ghost town. Um, I too have been quite busy, uh, not quite with something as fancy as planning a wedding. Um, <laughs> we really love doing this show and it was really nice to have some time to recharge so that we could come back and be really excited and really love doing this show. So we appreciate you guys. Absolutely. So also, Lillian, I don't know about you, but we have finally ditched the suffocating heat of summer oh, here in Minnesota. God. And now it's really feeling like autumn. And so I have personally been embracing many autumn things, but I am like, I feel like this weather is very Jane Eyre-esque. This so it's weather me, is Jane Eyre. It's so great. It's got me in the mood to like, you know, we were going through, I was going through the book today, looking at different passages for our subject matter for this episode. But then also I was like on Pinterest and every now and then it throws <laughs> me another Timmy D screenshot. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should rewatch that again. <laughs> it's about time to go back to what started the it all. The energy of your um, Master of Thornfield be like intro where it's Timmy D being cut in between dramatic music. Um, <laughs> that's the weather. The weather has yes. been doing that for Piper. <laughs> Yay, exactly. <laughs> Although I did have, there were other Rochesters in there. It wasn't just Timmy D, but most of them oh, were him. Yeah. I think the first like 35 seconds are Timmy D. Oh yeah. Most of it's Timmy D, but like there's, um, I did put in a, and forgive me, it's been a while. Um, uh, black sales guy. He's in there. Um, okay. Um, yeah, uh, Toby Stevens. <laughs> Toby Stevens. <laughs> I put in the pirate. I put in. <laughs> I put in um, the George C. Scott was in there. George C. Scott. Yep. I put in the Broadway guy. He who shall not be named, just because he has a good voice. <laughs> I did but... <laughs> love. I don't have to talk about this too much, but I didn't have a chance to talk about it on the podcast. I did yeah. truly love um, the he sh who shall not be named when you set <laughs> talked about 
the song that he was referencing, you were like, mm-hmm. we don't agree with his personal choices. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, or as a person, like his, no. we're mad about his crimes. Well, that's what I said. I said, we don't approve of his life choices. He's a bad guy. He's a <laughs> no, bad person, but his voice still sounds good. Him, which is why it's okay that we stole his music to <laughs> promote our podcast. Borrowed. We borrowed his music. That's right. <laughs> one anyway. tiny little thing before I return to the, our studio is okay. one of the things that we have um, tragically neglected is all of our gratitude, specifically for those of you who pay us. And today, <laughs> I want to be particularly thankful to our best human, our Jane, um, Bonnie. Thank you so much for being a top tier patron. We appreciate you. Uh, thank we you, see Bonnie. you. And you're going to get extra thank yous uh, in these episodes because we have... Our summer schedule didn't allow us to thank you as often as you deserved. Um, So thanks so much, Bonnie. Um, Today, Piper, I would love to talk to you about Thornfield Hall. Not necessarily as a brick and mortar location, although Mm -hmm. I definitely have notes on that because Lillian comes with the fun facts. Um, (laughs) But I have this in our notes, like in our show schedule as a character study of Thornfield Hall. And I like that. I like that too. I also, I have character study in quotes around Thornfield because <laughs> when we were going through the novel and like breaking down very specific moments and scenes, I think that's when like on air, even we were saying we should do a whole episode just talking about Thornfield and what it represents in the story, what it means to different characters, kind of like the symbolism of this place. Um, and so very excited to actually dive into that. I don't know about you, Lillian, but when I sat down and opened my Jane Eyre book and I'm flipping to like passages of descriptions for this building, like instantly the switch flipped on to send me back to kind of like Ivy English and like my <laughs> like, I don't know, English literature cl- courses. And it's like, okay, but like, it's not just a single candle in the window. That's like the watching eye of the ghost and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how deep and philosophical do we yeah, want to get on this? Real. But- That's the thing that... The number of people that I've told that I have a Jane Eyre podcast, because I started a new job recently, and it does, when you're looking for fun facts every once in a while, the fact that you host a very hyper-specific podcast comes up, yeah. and you start to tell people that, and they're like, oh, that's cool. And then he goes, yeah, I've been doing it for like a year and a half. This is our 80th episode. <laughs> like, <Woo-hoo. laughs> people are like, what do you even talk about? And I was like, well, as it turns out, Jane Eyre has a lot to talk about. <laughs> Yes, We're the indeed. first people who noticed. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, well, since you, we had kind of talked beforehand about mm-hmm. like how we're kind of break down this episode. Um, and it sounds like I maybe have a bit more kind of specific points of like descriptions from the book. At least the way I began is kind of going into our first uh, introduction to Thornfield. Yes. So maybe I should begin with some of these notes and that. highlights. I think that sounds perfect. Awesome. Okay, so uh, the first description of Thornfield appears in chapter 11 of Jane Eyre. And right away, I think one thing that really stood out to me, and this is something I think I'm going to talk about a lot when talking about this location, is how drastically Thornfield changes from moment to moment, and based on who's describing it, Mm -hmm. based on who is in a certain room at a certain time. I feel like Thornfield is very adaptable it kind mm-hmm. of changes it it becomes at one moment a frightening place and at the other moment it's like the warmest piece of sanctuary you could imagine mm-hmm. so some of the initial kind of things that stood out to me just like keywords reading through this initial passage description 
some of the first words we get to describe it are at first the fact that it's a very dark place. There is only one light in one of the windows at the front of the house. Everything else um, is dark and shadowy. But then not too long after entering Thornfield, uh, Jane is brought to this drawing room, this smaller, tiny, intimate space where suddenly we get descriptions of it was a cozy, agreeable picture. She uses words like snug and cheerful to describe this place. But then it's interesting that not several pages later, when she is being led away from the warmth of that small place, which is, I think, a big part of why it's described that way is because Mrs. Uh, Fairfax is there and she's kind of the source of warmth. And so the atmosphere that surrounds her kind of reflects that. But as Miss Fairfax leads Jane through the dark and empty drafty areas of the house to bring her to her bedroom, she, from a moment ago, the word cheerful was described, but now suddenly it is vault-like and cheerless. Hmm. And at, those two words are used very close to one another, and I think that's very interesting to see that. But then, as soon as Jane enters this new bedroom, and again, it's a smaller, warm, personal space, it we have then, um, you know, descriptions of comfort, security, happiness, things like that right away. So these are just some of my initial kind of thoughts about this is a very paralleled place with mm -hmm. very different descriptions. Yeah, and I think we one of the things we're going to go into is like what it means for these different characters in a little bit more depth. But I think the idea that the house itself has certain spaces that just your initial reaction even before like this is before Jane has all of her personal emotions and experiences in all these different rooms and all these different spaces. So it's just that immediate feel of these rooms. Um and it reminds me of, I find it really interesting that it's the smaller spaces that are mm -hmm. more reserved for the people serving the house that mm -hmm. feel cozier and feel warmer, particularly to Jane. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of, in my house growing up, we had like our fancy living room and we had like our fancy dining room. And like, you never really feel comfortable in those rooms when you're a little kid, because you're not supposed to break things you're not not that you're supposed to break things in other rooms but like you're just like it's the you're not supposed to be in there and it's like sure it's the most beautiful it's set up really aesthetically like all of these things but they're not the rooms you feel comfortable in like they're yeah. not the space you like want to spend your time in mm -hmm. other than when you're putting on this performance for guests like we'll see later right. in the novel right. um but I think it's the same thing that Jane's describing just a little bit more humanly about like all of these rooms, something that I continue to find interesting. Well, I'll, the, the, the life of this house and like the feeling in the different rooms in this house. Yeah, absolutely. And I have been in Lillian's fancy <laughs> do not touch anything living room growing up and we got in big trouble for throwing decorative uh, yeah. balls around and stuff like that. So I know that space. Classically, my living room had what all homes need, which is a bowl of decorative balls. Yep. Um, and those were not the balls that you were supposed to be throwing around. <laughs> and yet we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny that you mentioned that specific of an example, Lillian, because later on when Jane is getting the full tour from Mrs. Fairfax, she describes once kind of going through the ballroom, she sees this elegant drawing room that's kind mm -hmm. of almost described 
like it's like revealed to her through this like dramatic curtain that's kind of only like partially open and she can just kind of glimpse into it and she uses words like it looks like a scene from like a fairy story or something like that again Mm -hmm. we have all these references to fairies and fae and magical things and stuff like that but the thing that stood out to me that that scene when she's describing that fancy drawing room um apart from the fact that like there's great detail attributed to just how like grand and elegant and expensive and fine all the things within that room are i'm sure at the time people reading it would have been like oh this is like the most fashionable like Mm -hmm. things that are in this drawing room but i think the most significant detail is the fact that the carpets are white in that Mm. room which is like you don't have a white carpet if you ever are going to have people drinking wine or doing anything <laughs> that could possibly like ruin that. So that's like a sign of like class. And it's like, oh, you behave yourself in this room. This is the fancy room. Well, and it's also you have to have a certain amount of money. Like it's the same reason why wedding dresses became white. Mm-hmm. That used to just be a sign of wealth that you could only yeah. you were only going to wear that dress once. So it's mm-hmm. fine. Like that's the idea that like people a wouldn't be tracking mud in there. Those people don't are clean enough all the time that it's not mm-hmm. going to be a problem and b we'll have to replace the carpet what an expense like <laughs> it's it's that level of money that these people have i think something that's interesting to me too as we talk about this is i think a lot about the fact that rochester has her keep all of the rooms ready yeah um so that he could just show and some of that is like rochester's general flightiness Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it is the fact that he could, that he wants things to be set up for him all the time. So the house is always alive and waiting for him, but in a way that feels so much more abandoned to me Yeah, because like I pictured the sheets over all of the furniture and stuff like that as like almost the house being put to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like, that's so much work to keep all of those rooms clean all of the time mm-hmm. for no one in case yeah. he shows up. Yeah. And if we're going to get into some of the kind of like poetic analysis that you can read from that, which you've already definitely like dived into. I love we're already personifying the house <laughs> that it's not put to sleep. It is left in this kind of suspension mm-hmm. um, waiting. That's Bertha too. I think mm. Thornfield in a big way is not just Bertha's prison, but it to Rochester when he thinks of Thornfield, he thinks of his wife being there. And so I think also Bertha herself, maybe in her madness or delusion, is also, you know, wandering these halls, potentially wondering like, when will my husband return? Mm-hmm. And the house too is always yeah, ready to receive him. I think another him. layer of that too that as as we're talking about this, I'm I'm thinking about is like it's also, I think about the spaces, well, I don't know if we want to go too much into depth into what this is for Rochester, but it's coming up so much for me in this. The spaces that Rochester would spend his time in, all of the spaces that are described as cozy, Rochester wouldn't spend his time in. Mm-hmm. All of the spaces that are described as like devoid of joy are time are spaces that Rochester would spend his time in and are spaces that he not only has Bertha associated with it, but he also has his family. Like this is mm-hmm. his tie to his family in so many ways. This is the legacy that his family has given him. It's also the burden and reminder of these people who treated him so poorly um, mm-hmm. and didn't care about him as a person, but as an asset. And then yeah. ultimately he's the one who has all of this wealth and all of this power and 
understands how little value that actually has at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got to be reminded not just of Bertha, but why he's in the position that he's in with her. Absolutely. And I I love that rate. And I'm going to add an, an even an additional yeah. layer to it too, because when you said that those, the cozy spaces aren't the rooms that he spends time in, but he spends time in like the, the drawing rooms, you know, playing this part. I think Rochester wishes he could be in mm-hmm. the small, intimate, cozy spaces. That's what he longs for. I think at this point in the novel, especially when he's going through the charade of the party to make Jane jealous, he's playing this part of the you know well-to-do landlord who has the wealth to host these parties. He's acting as if he doesn't mind like the inane discussions he's having with his guests and like how he's in those rooms being that guy they want him to mm-hmm. be. And everything surrounding him affirms what they expect. And I think when Thornfield and that level of pressure, societal pressure and expectation burns away, and then he's, you know, left to that little humble kind of like cottage manner or forest mm-hmm. manner, whatever, it's still a big house, but it's much more like cozy yeah. and intimate. That's kind of like, okay, well, screw it now. I'm just going to, you know, be married to my governess after committing this horrendous act and we're going to be cool with it and we're saying fuck you to society so well and I also think like as you're talking about that and Rochester wanting to be in those cozy spaces like that is that's so part of everything Rochester wants it's the reason why the facade of society is like uninteresting to him he's Mm -hmm. good at it he can play the game we can see him charm all these people he just doesn't care to be good at it Um, and I genuinely think like he would sit in that sitting room with Mrs. Fairfax and Jane, if that was like acceptable, like, and I think that that's, that desire for coziness could be part of the draw of Jane is like how much she sits. We've talked about this a lot. Like she sits so far outside of the society that Rochester has been forced to care about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you can see that just in the the spaces Jane chooses to occupy are the same spaces I think Rochester would choose to occupy if he could. Absolutely. And I also, just because like the wording works so well, when you said that like Jane sits so far away from those social circles, I'm like, oh, and when he calls her to like meet with him, she also sits far away from him. <laughs> and he's like, nope, get over here. Move <laughs> your chair closer to me because I can't come to you. You have to come to my level. Holy mm. shit. I never made that connection before. <laughs> it's just like how he can't admit his feelings. He needs her to talk first because of his stature. Fuck. I don't know if anyone's ever come up with that idea, but I am loving it. <laughs> I feel like I just discovered air. <laughs> Cracked open the whole book. It changes everything. The chair in the placement. It's the whole novel. <laughs> so I'm sure you have more notes on the interior, but I think as we're talking about Rochester in particular, I really want to talk about the other big part of Thornfield, which is the gardens and the space outside of it and how that lives separately from the interior of Thornfield. Interesting, because I did write a note here that said, do the gardens slash grounds count? Like, are we just talking about the building or are we talking about the whole property? Because if we're also including the gardens, that's a whole other level. Yeah, Yeah. I think we're going to talk about nature. We have an episode coming up here in a few months to talk about nature as a theme in Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. But I think that like the desire to be outside of the house and to be in the nature of Thornfield, like I think part of what Jane loves about Thornfield is not necessarily the manor. It's mm-hmm. the gardens. And so yeah. when she talks about loving Thornfield and not wanting to leave leave Thornfield, 
Obviously, that's a metaphor for Rochester, but it's also literally the space and the way that this space made her feel. And a Mm -hmm. big part of that space is those gardens. Absolutely. And so if we are including this then, because a lot of the, you know, pivotal moments between the two of them happen in the gardens outside, we've talked a lot about that they they both kind of retreat to nature and they find themselves in these spaces. I think it's so fascinating too. Another level to add to this is that these gardens, they provide kind of like a bit of the reprieve that they're both seeking in nature, but it is a controlled nature environment. I have to imagine there's like a brick wall around the gardens or a fence of some kind. And also it's an English garden. So definitely there are people maintaining these otherwise wild plants. They're all kept in kind of a structured um, sort of way that they're meant to grow. They're being pruned or like manipulated a certain way to meet the, you know, fancy societal standards, which is like, you could attribute that to Rochester as well. And like these, again, these kind of restraints of society. And I think That'll be something I want to dive more into when we have that nature episode, because when Rochester is in the garden before he proposes to Jane and, you know, it's this kind of like we like I was saying, like controlled kind of structured English approach to greenery. He's also at that moment reflecting on kind of the wildness of Jamaica. I think Mm, Um, thinking back to like, that's when he sees that moth and he talks kind of about like, Oh, this reminds me of that time. And I think he's thinking then, but that would have been nothing like this garden. That would have been a wild place. Mm -hmm. So little things like that too. Yeah. We can't go down my feelings about British gardens versus more natural gardens because that's a whole day. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, one thing I want to mention, which might also lead us into, actually, I'm going to save this section for when we talk about what Thornfield means to other people. Mm. Um, but there's a couple of other fun details here that when Jane is getting this tour, all these different things are being pointed out to us through Jane's observations. So um, it's referred to as a gentleman's manor house. She strictly says that it is not like a lord's like estate. So there's mm. like differences and comparisons that are being drawn there. When they're up on the... So first of all, when she goes out in the morning, she observes there is a rookery on the roof, which is... I looked up a definition. I had an idea, but I wanted to know for sure. It is a breeding colony or a collection of bird's nests. And then once up on the rooftop, she gets to see those more closely. So the house, it's like not only a home for these people living here, but it also provides this like place for these birds to make their nests as well. And it's while up here on the roof and then kind of descending through the attics that this is where... And again, there's so many interesting details in this part, rereading the section to say, okay, which characters are bringing certain information forward? Because you can just kind of assume it's kind of a dark and spooky place, but it's Mrs. Fairfax who is the first one to say, if there were a ghost, this would be its haunt. And that Mm -hmm. intrigues Jane's kind of like, you know, cool, spooky, like mindset. And she asks her about it. She's like, are there ghosts here? Are there any ghost stories or cool, like things that you can share? And like, Miss Fairfax has that one cool line and then she's like, oh no, I've never heard of anything like that. Like, don't be silly. But there is a weird line that she says where she's like, the Rochesters were like very angry in life. So now they are at peace in death. And it's just this like interesting remark. But she like blows off this stuff. She's like, oh no, no, I was just saying that to be silly. There are no ghosts here, of course. And then Jane has this moment where she kind of reflects on the fact that the hallways in the attic space above, she references that it feels like something from Bluebeard's castle. 
which my um, copy has like a little annotation thing about that to describe it. Um, it's like an old English story about this sea captain who married. It's actually really similar to the plot of Jane Eyre. Mm. He like brings this new wife into his house and she finds out that he's murdered every single wife he's ever had um, and that they've he, like kept them in the basement. Uh, so then she finds out and escapes. But right after Jane has that comparative thought, like these hallways feel like something from Bluebeard's castle. Immediately then we get the laughter from Bertha. So spooky. And my kind of note, it's like, it's almost as if, because this is not something that Jane says out loud. She doesn't out loud make that comparison. She just kind of thinks it in the inner kind of narrative monologue. But it's almost feels as if like right when she hears that or when she thinks that, that Bertha laughs, it's almost as if Bertha like can hear Jane's thoughts or sense that kind of notion and then confirms the association by, you know, laughing and cackling. I think it also, I mentioned this a little bit in our Bertha episode, but I think it's so interesting as we talk about the character of Thornfield and Thornfield being alive. Um, it has also been said that a third floor or an attic space is um, also a way that people metaphor, use a metaphor from your mind. So mm-hmm. saying that that's in your mind, saying a third floor or attic space. So that's one of the reasons why people will take Bertha as a metaphor for Jane. So the fact that this was in Jane's thoughts while she was standing in the third floor at that attic space and that Bertha then laughs really reinforces the idea that like Bertha's laughter is actually a reflection of Jane. Um, And maybe Jane Eyre is actually Fight Club. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. I love that. We're just full of amazing epiphanies today. (laughs) I know. Um, But yeah, I hadn't quite put that together, but that's, I think that's so interesting it would be fun. We're not going to do this because it sounds like a lot of work. But if somebody else wants to and tell us about it, please do. Um, it would be fun to go through and just pull out every time Bertha laughs and what's happening. Ooh, yeah. Um, and look at specifically like are all of them because they feel so sporadic. Mm-hmm. Um, but are all of them tied to a reaction to something that's happening? Yeah. No, that would be very cool to see. I love it. Um, one other little note here, kind of similar to my observation where before there is that comparison of cheerful and cheerless, mm-hmm. um, in the, when she first enters the house, she uses a word vault like to describe mm-hmm. some of these dark spaces. And then when Jane is like on the roof, kind of looking down into the trap door with the ladder to descend into the attic itself, it's very dark down there. And she also describes it as a vault. And I think, again, there's all of these things hinting, like, if I were my like high school like English teacher right now, I'd be like, okay, everybody, so what does a vault do? It locks things away. Hey, what's locked in the attic? Uh, look at that. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Comparative metaphors. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. I think – so do you have more notes on the space and what just like generally about Thornfield? Uh, my only other kind of like two general things is before we jump into like what it means to everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. So my general things left is just that we kind of pinpointed this when we were first talking about these specific chapters. But when Jane and Rochester are walking around outside and he's telling her the story of Adele's mother, he gets sidetracked just by looking up at like the roof area of Thornfield, mm-hmm. the um, 
I want to say bannermans. I don't know. I don't think that's the right word. Um, but like the fact that just like looking up there and seeing that space, it evokes this kind of, you know, moment for mm-hmm. him where he then freaks out and he's like, oh, it's like I saw a hag from Hamlet and she's daring me to love my house and I will love it and all the symbolism mm-hmm. that implies. So the house can like evoke these emotions from him. Um, and then also just, I didn't really go super in depth on this yet. I just kind of made a note about how significant I think it is that Thornfield appears in her dreams when Jane is kind of having these visions um, of her both being locked outside of its gates, what that represents for her being like separated from Rochester when she thinks he's going to marry Blanche. And then also like when she dreams of it being destroyed and she's like climbing over the ruins of the house to try to get to him. I think these are all very just kind of very vivid descriptions of this place and the setting and are worth noting when talking about it. Yeah, I really like that. I think there's so much, we've talked so much about the physical space of Thornfield in so many of our adaptations and just like what that means. Um, And I just, I love, I just love, I just love it. Basically what I'm saying is I'm just a fan of Thornfields. Okay. Nice. Let it go. (laughs) So Lillian, you, if I were to ask what does Thornfield Mm. mean to you, you would say I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And then I would be done. And then that would be the whole podcast. Nice. Awesome. Great. Cool episode, huh, guys? Yeah. (laughs) But let's see what it means to other people or what it is for other people. Do we want to finish out Rochester or do we want to talk about one of the many ladies who have feelings about Thornfield? Uh, Let's finish out Rochester since we started with him. Um, So how would you answer that question? What is Thornfield to Rochester? I think it's so many things. I think it is. I think he thinks of it as a prison. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he thinks of it is so tied to Bertha for him because when he's not there, he can pretend she doesn't exist. And when she's there, there's no way for him to pretend that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I also think it's the same authority and um, responsibility that he's been avoiding. I think Rochester really avoids the responsibility because Thornfield Hall, like it's not just a house. Like he has tenants, he owns land, he has mm-hmm responsibilities and he has been neglecting those responsibilities intentionally and Mm -hmm. actively and so I think coming back here like the first few days that he's back at Thornfield he has so many meetings because there's so many people who need something from him Mm -hmm. so I think he really sees this space and this place as something that he's been running away from as much as anything else so it's the reason why like he wants to love this place. He mm-hmm. wants to see it as the good that his family saw it as. Mm-hmm. Although, to your point, and I don't even know that I'd fully registered that line if the Rochesters have been really unhappy. Mm-hmm. No one's, this should make you happy, but it doesn't make, it hasn't made anybody happy. Mm-hmm. The house itself? The house itself. Um, I think maybe if anybody, I will bring this up with the other two characters. I feel like the house makes Jane happy for a long time. But I think, I think that's the, the way Jane sees it. None of Mm -hmm. it's up until Jane gets there, right? Like it didn't make his father happy. His father Mm -hmm. still had all these, he wanted more. He always wanted more. He couldn't be happy with what he had. His brother never got it and he Mm -hmm. died. So he lived his life thinking he was going to get this. And instead he died. Rochester, because of the responsibility of it, feels really tied down. He still sees it as this like heavy burden when he comes home, but he wants to love it. Yeah. And it's so interesting to think about 
his timeline at Thornfield, right? Because mm-hmm. if we are to imagine that he grew up there until he was like 21, because they mm-hmm. say like that's about when he was sent to Jamaica to get married. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty long time to like form, you know, uh, memories within the space. But again, if it wasn't a happy childhood because of the way that his father and brother treated him, then maybe he didn't have that many fond memories of the house from the start. Mm-hmm. And then once he returns, he's coming with, you know, Bertha, and now he's locking her away, and then he's instantly fleeing. So it's like, I, the book, I don't think implies that he's had many opportunities to find happiness at Thornfield, like you're kind of saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think what I keep going to in this discussion is I feel like Thornfield represents like his responsibility, like you said, that he's running away Mm -hmm. from. I don't think he actually likes it. I think it's a big relief when it's gone and it burns away. And I think for him, that's like, oh my God, okay. Like I can just go be a hermit in the woods and like kiss the girl that I love. I don't have to take care of my mad wife or my tenants, or I don't have to live up to these society expectations. I think, yeah, we don't have much say that he would have apart from duty and responsibility Um, I don't think he has personal ties to this place. I think it also is like, as much as Thornfield is ha- like has this haunted feel, mm-hmm. um, I think it's also haunting him. Like all of his personal demons live mm-hmm. in those halls. Yeah. All of his trauma is in this space. Mm-hmm. And all of the times that he is forced to pretend to be something that he's not mm-hmm. is because of his ties to this place. Yeah. Um, so, but he has, I, I, am I misremembering? He has a whole rant, one of his many, many rants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's when he's explaining the whole Celine situation to um, Jane and he mm-hmm. goes on this thing. I'm deter. He's determined to love this place or to be happy here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's determined to make this work. I think some of that isn't, is as much about Thornfield as is about, He's determined to not let those responsibilities and negativity affect his life. Mm-hmm. And that burden, he w- he refuses to let that burden drag him down. I feel like, too, when I was rereading that passage, I think what I think that is more saying, in my opinion, is not so much that he's like, I want to, like, like I will love this place. I think it's more of his... Like, it's him vocalizing that he's going to pursue Jane. I think it's more like, mm-hmm. I will love her. And if I yeah. can have her and then, like, do the marriage thing all over again and then play that role, then I will love this place if Jane is with me here. I think it's For more about sure. that. Yeah, I think it to- – I completely agree. And I think he's trying to say – and I think that leads really well into what Thornfield is for Jane. But mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to say is that – if Thornfield, if the way he's talking about Thornfield is a metaphor for his life, because it is haunted with all of these memories and all of this history for him, and it's all tied up in this space, he's not going to let these burdens and responsibilities and all of this other stuff that this space represents for him be what his life is, because yeah. he's in, determined to love his life, and he's mm-hmm. determined to have what he wants, and that what he wants is Jane. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's talk about what Thornfield is to Jane. 
I think with Jane, we have so many kind of like, it's like a roller coaster ride, uh, many hills and valleys of like Thornfield and what it is to her. Because I feel like, you know, at first it seems maybe spooky and intimidating. Later, it becomes this the sanctuary. The first time she's ever felt like she's had a family and a home and therefore the building that provides that is also a home that she wants to have. I think it feels like it is a way to remind her of her status and her place and how she's not supposed to be with Rochester mm-hmm. with all of the scenes at the party when she and Adele are up above looking down at them and the party goers are down below and she's now the help. Essentially she can't go and mingle with them there. She's separated by those levels kind of the same mm-hmm. way that to an even greater extent, Bertha is also separated from everybody on a much higher tier because she is this shameful secret and this outsider from their like culture and everything. Um, I think Thornfield, when she is in love, is like this beautiful glowing place when she feels as if she's about to lose the man she loves to, in her opinion, unworthy suitor. Suddenly the house feels suffocating and she's like i can't be here just like rochester can't walk the halls forever reminded of bertha upstairs jane can't stay and tutor adele knowing that in another room like i Mm -hmm. in her imagination rochester and um uh um blanche are like making out and making fun of her and stuff and she's like i can't do that (laughs) um and then I think there's a great sense of heartbreak for Jane when she leaves this place, mostly because of the people inside that she's leaving behind. And then when she returns to it and it's this burnt, like, I don't know, kind of corpse of, yeah, this, mm-hmm. if we again are going to personify the building, like it was as much like, you know, a character in that chapter of her story. And now it is dead and gone, but there's still enough of it to be reminded of what once was. Um, Because it's not completely burned down. It's still partially there, but it's like scarred just like Rochester is. Um, (laughs) So there's so much symbolism that you can draw from this. Uh, That's my initial Jane rant. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I really liked a lot of what you said in there. I think some of the things that particularly resonate with me is like what – what Thornfield is to Jane in those first few months um, versus what it becomes to her as she falls in love with Rochester, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because when she first gets there, we've talked about like certain places, parts of it feel cozy, others feel really empty and joyless. Um, and it's sort of not full enough. Like mm-hmm. her, the life at Thornfield doesn't have enough. Um, and it's that same feeling she gets on the day before she goes for her, um, ever so famous walk, um, and meets that crazy (laughs) man in the woods. Um, but it's that feeling of like, it's not full. It's not done. There's not enough here. She's happy. She's happier than she was because she needed that new servitude. She needed that new adventure. And that's what it is to her first. And people there are kind and that's significantly better than what she had before. But it's still not enough, and the mm-hmm. space doesn't feel finished. And then Rochester showing up and their love and all of that stuff, despite the fact, like, if I lived in a house where there were creepy laughs, I wouldn't <laughs> live there very long. Yeah. <laughs> but if- <laughs> she's fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> Lillian, I think um, what you were saying about that really leads in well to one of, I think, your favorite passages where after Jane has like settled for like about a month of like teaching Adele, mm-hmm. she has that moment of being like, why do I still want more than this? Why am I still mm-hmm. looking at the horizon? Like, 
women are, mm-hmm. we think as much as men do and we're just as passionate and all these things and blah, blah, blah. So I think that kind of leads into that theory. Yeah, I think that, I think that fits really well. And I think one of the things I kind of want to talk about what the burning down of Thornfield means for each of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. So, cause I want to come back to a couple Rochester things and I want to talk about Bertha a bit. So I, I almost want to loop back to that before we talk about Blanche. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that it's interesting. It's interesting because it is a metaphor for Rochester's life, but then it's also in so many ways a metaphor for Jane's life in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, I think one of the things that I really enjoy about that idea of like, we're passionate, we have more, there's more in us. It's not about like a specific thing. Like mm-hmm. I think there's like having a full fulfilled life for women has often been considered married, have kids, mm-hmm. um, running a household like Thornfield also used to be a part of that. Now um, we also have this cool other option of having a career and PS if to be a real woman and have it all. To, the only way to truly have it all is you have to have a career and kids. Um, mm-hmm. If you choose one or the other, you're actually a bad person. Please take that personally. Um, <laughs> William is being sarcastic for our dull listeners. <laughs> just, just, just to translate for Lillian. We have had people mad before when we joked about punching somebody. <laughs> and it was a joke. Uh, but uh, we didn't even say punching someone. We just said they had set up punchable face. Yeah, they're just uh, asking for it. We didn't advocate for it. Um I can't let but that go. <laughs> it's I think it's interesting that like it's not yes for Jane the piece of her life that is missing is Rochester. It's a romance. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I love that that story and especially when you take that step back and think about uh Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That story isn't about that missing piece doesn't have to be a man. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ha- like she wants passion and adventure and something that makes her life feel full and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. There is something missing. That something could be a more fulfilling career. That something could be traveling. That something could be just having more responsibility in a place to use her mind more. Yeah. It happens to be Rochester because he can fulfill all of those needs. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really interesting how much. Thornfield and the description, the initial description of Thornfield from Jane's perspective matches up with how Jane feels about her life. Yeah. There's this creeping craziness and then there's <laughs> also joy and comfort, but that that isn't enough for the house to feel full. Yeah. So if um, Bertha in the attic is Jane's like own insanity, then the house feels empty because she's missing the heart of the house. And then Rochester comes and fills that heart-shaped space. (laughs) It's the head and the heart, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And she has her needs met there, like fully met there Mm -hmm. more than she has anywhere else. Yeah. So um, I think we've we've already touched on when it comes to what the what Thornfield means to Bertha. I mean, very obviously, it is this this prison, this asylum. Uh, I feel as if you know I kind of touched a little bit on the way the house at moments of the story kind of tells people where their place in society is, mm-hmm. with the kind of dividing them by the different levels of the house. There was a passage in the beginning that I jotted down because the details of this I thought was actually a really cool kind of metaphor. 
as Jane is getting the tour from Mrs. Fairfax, she notices that when they get up to these higher levels, which are darker and kind of more like closed off, that up here, a lot of the kind of older out of fashion furnishings have been moved up to these levels to make way for more kind of like, you know, these fancy fashionable modern things that are down below. Um, and I kind of think there's a very obvious comparison that could be made to this as well, she, like with Bertha too being kind of stored away. She is mm. the old wife and now they have to make way for this new like person to come in and fill this this spot. So yeah. she's kind of surrounded with also these like things that are meant to be like forgotten and kind of stored away, not thrown away, but put away for safekeeping to collect dust and not be seen or thought about. Yeah. I think it's interesting to thinking about like talking about how for Rochester Thornfield is a representation of his life in so many ways for Jane. It's also a representation of this new life that she's creating. And I think that it's really interesting to think of it also as a representation of Bertha's life. So mm -hmm. it's this prison, but it's also a representation of like her being yanked out of everything she knew and put in this strange, cold, heartless place that mm -hmm. the only way she experiences Thornfield is on her nighttime adventures um, <laughs> when it's just dark and very spooky and very empty and she's very alone. Mm -hmm. um, and to think of that as like her reaction to that, it's her desire to burn that down. Mm -hmm. She wants to burn down the physical place she's in she wants to burn down her life and she wants to burn down Rochester's life. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I was thinking something along the same lines that like when she wanders Thornfield, this is all she knows of uh, not just this house, but like this is what she all she knows of England. Mm. I'm thinking of like passages that we read in um, what? Uh, Wide Sargasso Sea. Wide Sargasso Sea. These kind of brief moments that we get. Uh, of Thor of Bertha actually at Thornfield and thinking about like what is this strange place? What is this England? You know, if we are to again, this is going out of potential like actual canon of mm -hmm. uh, Bronte's like writings, but just from this kind of wider uh, perception of this kind of what if, like what did Bertha maybe think of her husband's like home country before, you know, when she was back like in the sunshine and in these like warmer mm -hmm. conditions and more familiar conditions. And now she's here and all she knows is locked doors, like drunk ladies who take care of you and like husbands who pretend you don't exist. And when people do happen to see you, they scream or run away. And I loved in that book, when she talks about, like, she's overheard that there's, like, a ghost at Thornfield. So when she wanders the halls, she's, like, afraid that that ghost will, like, come and find her. But she's the ghost. And I'm like, oh, Bertha. Yeah, that is that is classic. I love I love Bertha so much. She's so <laughs> crazy. Um, but, yeah, it's I think that's – it's really – it's interesting to think about. And it's interesting to think about – I really think the burning down of Thornfield is something that my brain keeps coming back to, particularly with Bertha's relationship to it, because mm -hmm. she does, we think of Bertha is not a character with much agency, right? Mm -hmm. But the one, the biggest change, she is such a driving force of all of the things in these other people's lives. She is mm -hmm. tied inextricably to this place. Mm -hmm. And this place has so many things that are tying all of these other people to society and all of this stuff. 
And she burns that to the ground. Like if we think Mm -hmm. about the metaphor of Rochester's life and Rochester's ties to society, even before Thornfield literally burns, his relationship with Bertha burns his expectations and his desire to be part of society down. Yeah. Um, Jane has this happy life and she has this love and she finally has all of her needs met. And that, that, that little voice, that little thing that keeps creeping up on her, whether we think of that as a metaphor for Jane's own mental health, or we think of it as literally this woman who's married to the man she loves, that burns it to the ground. That, that creeping something burns this life and this happiness she has to the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way these people are able to create a life that actually makes them happy is yeah. by destroying their ties to society, destroying mm-hmm. all of these other things. But in doing that, Bertha doesn't survive that. Yeah. It's also so interesting that so Bertha decides to burn the house down, but she doesn't stay inside the house to be burned herself. She sets the place on fire and then she jumps off the roof. So I think it's really interesting that she's like, I'm going to destroy all of this one way, and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to seek my own end a different way. So I think there is that agency there. Because like, I think if she was like truly, I don't know, kind of like absolutely like gone, she would just like set things on fire, maybe just like sit there and burn herself. But she's like, no, you're burning. I'm going to jump to my death. (laughs) Like That's my way. You are doing it this way. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just it's. That is interesting. I've never really thought about what Bronte's point was there because it's always just been like a fact about the book to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And in Wide Sargasso Sea, we have that idea of her own sort of hallucinations that she could be a bird Mm -hmm. and that she's jumping to finally have freedom and she's burning it to have freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, But why? But and I think that's an interesting way to interpret what Charlotte Bronte is saying here. But I think the idea that Bertha is burning like to live in the metaphor of this is Rochester's life and then separately this is Jane's life and then it's also their life together and it's mm-hmm. also Bertha's life here mm-hmm. and Bertha is burning that to the ground for these people the idea that she's saying she's leaving that behind and literally leaping away from it yeah is really interesting to me i agree yeah who all right pete bertha we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Two big Bertha fans on this podcast. <laughs> um, I think, okay, so for a few other minor characters, if I may. Yes, um, So I think for, because I included Blanche originally in my list as well. I think for Blanche, Thornfield is a project um, to mm-hmm. be kind of like fixed. Uh, it's also a status symbol that she wishes to like own and possess I think if she is the mistress of Thornfield, that will, you know, secure her. It's that level of security as well. It's this kind of thing that she's after. Um, So when that burns down, that's her kind of being like, oh, well, there goes that route. I guess I got to go pursue somebody else. Um, Do you have more thoughts on, I have more thoughts on Blanche really quick. Go for it. Um, So I think one of the other things as we're talking, as you're talking about this, that triggered for me is like, how Rochester feels about Blanche wanting to fix Thornfield up mm-hmm. and what that means to him. Like if we go back to our, what Rod, what Thornfield is to Rochester, which is this space that's his life, that's his tie to society and all these other things. Blanche wants to clean up his ties to society and strengthen those. 
So she doesn't, not only is it like not about the furniture and not about wanting to like refresh this place, but the Mm -hmm. way she wants to do it is tying him more firmly to society, to power, to responsibility, to all of these things that Rochester does not value. So to, to Blanche, that's the advantage of Thornfield. Thornfield Mm -hmm. is a place to have power in society and Rochester doesn't want that. Right. It's an opportunity for her to have influence over something where she has previously always just been kind of the one told what to do by her mama, you know, (laughs) to be like, you have to look pretty, you have to woo wealthy men. And she's like, well, if I get this place with this sad old guy, like, I'll charm him by saying I don't mind that he's ugly. I like uggos. And then uh, he'll be my little puppy and I can do whatever I want. Hooray. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think it's, it's all of those things for her. Um, I think for Adele, originally I was, my first just passing thought was I was like, okay, well, it's like a schoolhouse for Adele. It's a home for Adele. But I actually think there's a lot more to be said about her because her like whole personality, she is this kind of like cartwheeling daisy. And then you take her, you pluck her from like the, the flower field and you throw her into this again, kind of like refined, like sort of cage. And it's like, okay, now we're going to teach you how to like be a little English lady, stop singing, stop dancing, like sit still, do all this stuff, which like, if you view it from that way, Rochester is doing to her what has been done to him. And Mm. I don't think he wants that in reality, but it's like, this is what we do. Um, And so I think it's uh, just a quick note on that, because that's what he thinks being a good parent is like, it's the same thing with locking Bertha up. Yes. I gen the nicest, kindest read of Rochester is always He's doing what he thinks is best. What he thinks is best is based off of what he's been told giving. He's been told giving people British society and British, the British way of living is the Mm -hmm. best possible thing. He can't connect Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want this. So why would he force? He's now perpetuating that on other people. That is because he can't take that next step of like, well, then what would these people want? And what should I give them that would actually make them happy and actually make their lives whole? Not just what I, what has been, I've been told would do that. Yeah, exactly. Cause I think I was just going to say too, I feel like, I think there's a great deal of, we've, we've always talked about how Rochester is a caregiver and he wants to provide. Mm -hmm. And so he thought the best thing, instead of leaving this girl to go like maybe become like a dancer or a prostitute like he's like no i'm gonna like give her a nice home and an education and Mm -hmm. all this other stuff so he's providing for her so from rochester's view for adele this should be again like jane it should be a sanctuary um or like you know a great place to be but i think yeah i i just kind of adore the idea that um adele's frenchness cannot be dampened by the (laughs) the english cold like you can't douse that flame she'll always just be this bright little pink cupcake walking through these dark gothic halls which is so great (laughs) um and then my final thing um is for just poor sweet little mrs fairfax um it's a job (laughs) it's a house it's a house to keep the dust off of stuff yeah i feel like just like just like Jane being like, but what's his character? What is he like? She's like, well, it's got a chimney and a front door. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, it's a house. It's a job. <laughs> yeah. To Mrs. Fairfax, it has no larger meaning. And frankly, do things need to? Yeah. Like no. maybe Mrs. Fairfax is right and we're all wrong. 
We've just wasted an hour of our day. <laughs> Sorry to waste your time. We should have done the Mrs. Fairfax version. It's like, welcome, guys. Miss Fairfax says it's just a house. Goodbye. <laughs> Speaking of just houses, um, I do have some fun facts because what would a, an AirBuds episode be without Lillian's fun facts about physical spaces in the UK um, and their relation to uh, Thornfield Hall? So. Yay. Uh, the first space I want to talk about is the inspiration for Thornfield Hall is uh, North Lees Hall, which I'm actually going to quickly share with Piper what that looks like. Um, so this is the actual hall, which is not where we've seen a lot of things filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but dang, girl, doesn't it look like it? Um, yeah. It's a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, it's a cute little place. Yeah, but so this is the the idea was this was the inspiration for uh, Jane Eyre. It says that everywhere you look on the internet, um, its web page highlights that um, it's it's in England somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's in, part of uh... <laughs> it's. Were you gonna, do you have another joke one? Go ahead. No, it's not very good. It's, like, um, it's in the off. Peak District. So it's part, it's owned by the Peak District National Park Authority. Um, I do want to warn people because they warn this to people on the website. Somebody lives there. It's a residential home right now. So don't go poking around there. Um, But very beautiful. You can see pictures of it on the internet. Um, Herond Hall, on the other hand, is one that we have seen in several movies. So that was used in the 1996, the 2006, the 2011 and I believe one other. No, it's just three because on their website it says just three. But it has also, Heron Hall has been used in a lot of other movies. Hmm. Um, it was used in a Pride, one of the Pride and Prejudice adaptations, The Other Boleyn Girl, and The Princess Bride. Oh, cool. Um, so that is a space that is available for tours and you can do a film tour there. And they talk about the three Jane Eyres that were filmed there. Awesome. Um, uh, other places that were used as, uh, locations were, um, Ripley Castle in York's was used in the 1970, uh, adaptation. Um, uh, Ryan, Ryan Hall, which I feel really confident about, um, in Derby <laughs> was used in the 1973 adaptation there. Um, uh, Park. Nope. I'm going to make Piper read this one. Uh, I would guess Dean Park. That makes most sense. Uh-huh. Dean Park uh, was what was used in the 1983. Uh, the 1997 was filmed in Norworth Castle. And then here's the one that was used for the interiors there because they did often use different interiors. The 2006 used different interiors and then Nebworth House. Great. Uh, Nebworth House in Hertz was used for the interiors in the 1997. Um, and then, so that's where we see, um, uh, Kieran Hines throw the bag over the balcony. <laughs> I want that on the tour. It's like here famously, uh, yeah, Kieran Hines yeeted some luggage over the banister. I want us to, I honest to goodness, I would make a tour. If anyone's interested in doing this for real and would pay like lots of money to do this with us, let me know. Cause I would do 
a tour of England just going to the castles that are in Jane Eyre locations. Incredible. And Piper and I can reenact the scene where Kieran yells at poor sweet Jane and we'll just throw crap over the balcony there. No one will arrest us. They'll totally let us do it. Yeah, we just got to have one of you guys be lookout. Be like, oh, they're coming, they're coming. It's like, shit, I mean, go. Everybody we're run. breaking in. <laughs> um, but there's also another one uh, called loosely park um in surrey that was used in the 2006 wide sargasso sea adaptation very Um, cool so yeah i would say if you're looking to do a tour of thornfield you're probably going to end up at um haddon hall um i'm adding an n in there i think that's not right so i'm gonna have you read this one too um that's the one that i mentioned that has the film tour um but yeah, don't go to don't go to places that don't want people coming there. Just like a little fun fact from Lillian. <laughs> I'm just thinking of um, yeah, that's Haddon Hall. Okay, yeah. I'm just thinking of how uh, the house that was in the Twilight movies. Somebody bought it, and so many like Twilight TikTokers were coming and twerking outside their house that they put up a gate, and they're like, "Please go away. We have children. Stop shaking your butts in front of our house." <laughs> don't truly and sincerely don't do that in front of someone's house um but do tour the fun one it's if we lived in england we'd be doing so much fun touring Heck um yeah. we'd make our bonnets and we'd hit the road <laughs> oh we'd, we'd be on the road with those bonnets it's great so um, good speaking of things that we thought we'd have to travel to uh next week oh wait let's do ratings no let's not <laughs> I was going to say, are we going to rate this house? I give it 20 out of 10 very good spooky castle houses. Metaphors for corpses burned to the ground. Would live in castle. 20 out of 10. Would, would sacrifice to live in castle. Amazing. I love it. it. must I love come it. furnished. Yes, yes. Uh, mad woman in the attic, please. Um... Okay, so the next week, speaking of of moving, of traveling to places, next week we are going to be watching something I am genuinely like so excited about. I've told like four people about this that do not care. <laughs> um, but we there's a couple of adaptations of Jane Eyre that we cannot see um, because they're in film archives and we'd have to travel to them. And this was on our list of like. I was looking to see if we could get to New York or LA to try to see this because we had to see it in film archives. And then last week, one of our incredible listeners sent us a message on Instagram and recently they added it to Amazon. So we are going to be watching the 1961 TV movie that was on CBS that is now on Amazon. You can rent it for 99 cents or you can purchase that baby for six for $3, which is, Three dollars is a lot less money than a flight to New York in a hotel. Just Absolutely. in case anyone was wondering how the math on that works, and all the meals and the significantly Ubers. less. <laughs> Incredible! I can't wait. It's going to be good. And if it's on Amazon, usually that means it's like a decent quality, unlike some of the um, versions we watch on YouTube. Yeah, usually right. when we steal stuff, it's not as good. <laughs> what so weird <laughs> um but yeah i i can't believe you guys have stuck with us for 80 episodes it's so much so much thank you 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, we would love, by the way, if you guys could um, do your best like impression of a list, love it or list it, you know, kind of sales pitch uh, or like your house hunters international for Thornfield, send that to us. Uh, G- we are airbuds at gmail.com. You can also make up your fake home listings, send it to us on Instagram, airbuds, all the social platforms. We are there. We want to see what you come up with and uh, how much those newt uh, breeders are going to spend with their $3 million budget when they buy that house. And if you want to leave us a review on Google or um, honestly, anywhere, you probably review us on Google. I haven't checked. Um, But for sure, Apple Podcasts lets you give us reviews. Spotify lets you just give us a star rating. Um, But if you do it on uh, iTunes and you list um, five stars and uh, why you specifically think Thornfield is five stars, but don't tell them that you're rating a house slash castle, not Mm -hmm. podcast, we will read that on air. Yeah. I want you to say something like, oh, yeah, like their foundation, solid. Solid. Solid foundation. Mm -hmm. Wish there wasn't so much creepy laughter. (laughs) The hedges could use a bit of trimming. (laughs) Fair. I'm getting a haircut. Thanks for the read, Piper. (laughs) Um, And if you want to contribute $3, you can listen to the full uh, um, Edward Fairfax radio hour um, or Master Thornfield radio hour. I don't even know the own name. Um, You can listen to the whole thing in its entirety on our Patreon. You also get access to fun games and quizzes, behind the scenes stuff, um, video episodes from us, art, things like that. So yeah, we'd love to have you join us on Patreon. We're going to be adding some more things in there. It was on pause for the last month because summer hours um, and we were being neglectful. Um, but it is a, a cool place for cool people. Um, and you guys are that. Um, yeah. If you don't choose to buy our affection, uh, it does come for free. Don't tell the Patreon members that, but you can buy it also. <laughs> Um, we genuinely, I cannot express how lovely it was to keep getting notes from everyone, particularly the people who we asked very specifically for Weathering Heights responses and you guys came through and I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has thoughts. It's so good. (laughs) So thank you for sharing them with us. We can't wait to see you next week for our next episode because we're back to that normal schedule, ladies and gentlemen. So until then, enjoy your autumn weather. I hope it's as cool and crisp and Jane Eyre-esque as it is for us here. We love you. Happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Bye. Bye.